Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge. Hey everybody, welcome to the Binge Movie Podcast, in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases from our own queer-ass perspectives. I'm Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Olarte, and today we're gonna take a look at three movies. Suicide Squad, Don't Think Twice, and Norman Lear, Just Another Version of You. And as always, we're gonna rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge It being our highest rating. Consume in moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And send it back means... Life's too short for that mess. Jason, my friend, oh. my confidant, mm. my tall bulldog. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> What's up with you? I'm like, you're the bulldog... Oh, wait, dog, bulldog. Bulldog, not okay. bullcat. <laughs> not bullcat. <laughs> okay. What is up with you, my friend? Thank you for asking. Uh, guys, uh, I am a few hours away from having to wake up at an un godly hour to fly to Michigan for a wedding. Mm. Um, flying out of Oakland at 6 a.m. tomorrow morning with a, a, a just a, a satanic alarm setting of 3.45 a.m., which is just not right. The scariest thing about those flights is not having to wake up at 3.45. It's mm-hmm. the fear that you're not going to wake up at 3.45. Exactly. And you don't sleep because you're like, I'm no. going to sleep through my alarm. And God damn it, that's scary. Um, and I've also made the abominable only one time in your life do you make this mistake of using Spirit Airlines. <gasps> Holy shit. What? I had no idea. Like, I had heard, like, oh, yeah, Spirit is one of those, you know, budget airlines and they charge you for shit. I didn't know how much they actually charge you for. Well, yeah, you need to bring only like a trash bag full of the things <laughs> you can carry on your lap. Otherwise, they charge you for like your carry on. Yeah, they charge you for everything. They charge you for literally checking in at the airport. Yeah, you have to do your pass ahead of time. It's yeah. Like, it's like uh, there's one in Ireland that sort of started it all. Uh, I can't think of what it's called. but um... Well, typical typical bullshit coming from the Irish. <laughs> Way <laughs> we, to we go. Are, we're taking one to Cleveland in October that's similar. It's Frontier. And it's like, what? Oh, yeah, it's $200 that's... to go to yeah, Cleveland? Exactly. Like, oh. Don't fall for it, guys. Or just get your, we... get your ducks in a row. Mail your clothes we... there ahead of time. <laughs> You're You're like, or travel like a professional. <laughs> Hasn't anyone else seen up in the air? I mean, come on. This is what he does. Uh, no, so it's like, it's so many things you get charged for along the line. We literally incurred over $250 of additional expenses when wow. I started to check in online yesterday. Because they charge you to even be able to pick seats because they're like, yeah, oh, if you, yeah. if you don't do this, then you, you know, don't get a seat. I, the, I had yeah, the same thing. I was yeah, like, they're, so wait, they're like, if you want to sit with your party, they're like if you want to sit with your party, then you have to, you know, you can, there's no guarantee. You'll just get what's left if you don't pick your seat now and it costs money. I'm like, fuck you guys. And then the, the copy they have on the website, it feels like something from the RNC because it says like, um, oh, you, we give you that they frame it as like this gift they're giving you. They're like, we love um, babies. Never mind. Get that baby out of here. <laughs> precisely. They're like, oh, well, you know, this way you only pay for what you bring. You don't have to pay for other passengers, quote, free bags. Oh, I'm like, they're turning you against other yes, passengers? they're turning you against each in other. what is already the most contentious space on Earth, which is every person. You're like, why can't you walk down the aisle faster? I'm like, why can't you put your stuff in overhead exactly. faster? Exactly. I'm like, what is this? What fee are you claiming that you're sparing me from paying? Like, it's something that's built in, so we don't even know it's there. Now you're trying to make us think that, like, oh, well, every other plane, you have a bunch of fucking freeloaders making you pay for their <laughs> shit. Like, this is so contentious. It's so, like the opposite of virgin. Oh, yeah, exactly. Could not be worse. Could not be more the opposite of that. And uh, and we're losing that. It's God help us all. But I know. 
And uh, and then tomorrow night, I'm going to... Uh, so this this trip I'm, I'm taking, it's for my first of two consecutive back-to-back lesbian weddings. Oh, really? Yes. One uh, this month and one next month back in Pennsylvania. And, uh, and for this one, it's kicking off with a stag party at which I have been asked to dress as a B. Arthur. Um, I happen to have a B. Arthur look. <laughs> ask, ask, or someone will like offhandly suggest it. I was commanded. Like, I'll go. I was commanded. Okay. <laughs> I was right, commanded okay. by the organizer of the stag party, friend of the show and one-time guest reviewer, Lindsay yes. Gebhardt, yes. Uh, to dress up as B. Arthur. And I've just now realized that I have basically committed to dressing as B. Arthur and doing laser tag. So you're going uh, to do laser, laser drag, drag tag? tag. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm. By the time you guys hear this, this will all have happened and, and it'll probably be on my Instagram. So are you doing this in like New York or Chicago or LA well, or? Well, boozy. I said Michigan earlier. <laughs> I'm setting it up. I'm setting it up. So you're going to be in so Detroit, like a big city uh, Detroit with area. A well, yeah, larger metropolitan area. So you're going to be uh, in a suburb. I'm going to be in a suburb of Michigan, dressed as Arthur. <laughs> In a strip Going mall. out to bars and strip malls. <laughs> you're lucky you're tall. I know. You I'm look just stronger like stronger than you are. I, I was asking Lindsay earlier. I'm like, maybe I should like not wear the wig. And now I'm thinking, ooh, maybe I should wear the wig because I think a, a man just wearing like a black sequin old lady outfit without a wig Worse. looks like genderqueer, and mm-hmm. that would be more threatening to people mm-hmm. than just wearing the wig. And then it's Deck just yourself. like, oh, because old ladies, you know, people don't sexualize those. So I think they, you know. Eight men are more threatened by whenever they feel like men are dressing as women to sexualize themselves mm-hmm. because they're like, you're trying to confuse my dick. Yep. Yes, so yep. this, there's no such confusion. Um, so anyway, that is all weighing very heavily on me as we speak, Rebecca. The lengths you have to go through. I know. Just to see a couple of ladies tie I mean, knot. I mean, not that. Just like to think through like what would be threatening or not. Oh, yeah. That too. Yeah. If you want to take in that downer direction. <laughs> but anyway. I do. I have nothing that's up with me this week. So, I mean, no? I feel like we did enough with you. <laughs> you have said enough. Enough. Okay. Um, I feel like we should just get right to the movies. Okay. Well, I guess we can do I feel that. Like that has been what's up with me as I've been watching. Uh, I watched all the movies this week. Yes. Rebecca's three for three this week, guys. Three for three. Three for three. And she's got some things to say. Uh, maybe. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> no promises. Rebecca might still be silent. Um, so the first Eminently movie... reasonable. It's so reasonable. Um, the first movie that we're going to take a look at this week is Suicide Squad. A secret government agency recruits imprisoned supervillains to execute dangerous black ops missions in exchange for clemency. I want to build a team of some very bad people who I think can do some good. Y'all jokers must be crazy. I'm not just one of the deal you disobey me you die try to escape you die you got a boyfriend you irritate or vex me i'm known to be quite vexing i'm just forewarning you you die um so this started off with an awesome trailer um that would make fans of the movie and fans of comedy really enjoy this and look forward to the movie um but there were some studio issues, mm-hmm. and it was there was like a director, Warner Brothers. So the director is David Ayers, who made Training Day mm-hmm. and Fury. End of Watch. End of Watch. And um, so there was some back and forth between the studio. Um, so what do you think about what the movie that you saw versus the first trailer, how those kind of true up? Yeah. Well, you know, I think what we're seeing now in the press is the Hollywood Reporter did this kind of very damning story about uh, how... According to their report, basically, David Ayer was off in one corner making his cut of the movie, 
And then Warner was off in their corner working with the people who cut that teaser trailer, making a cut of the movie that was more close to the teaser and the whole vibe of that. And uh, so, and it seems like what we have here is sort of like a, a, a hodgepodge of both cuts. Um, David Ayer and Warner are playing nice in the press, and they're definitely presenting a unified front and being like, this is the movie that we stand behind and we love it. And, you know, David Ayer is not making the mistake of, of, of Josh Trank last year when he mm. did Fantastic Four mm. and then just trashed everything and now is in movie jail. Uh, so, you know, I, I, it's definitely not, oh, God, I mean, like, the least of this movie's problems is that it's not very much like that trailer. Um, <laughs> you know, like, there there are moments that you are like, oh, yeah, that's in the trailer. Hmm, that's a good trailer. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, I, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's it doesn't really quite, it doesn't, it's not as fun as watching that trailer. But I think, and trailers are, are it's not unusual for trailers to be better than the movies that they, that they produce. Absolutely. I think what's knowable here is just that, like, the studio was off in their own corner trying to make something, because everyone loved that trailer. And they're like, everyone loved that trailer. This movie's not enough like the trailer. We gotta make a movie that's like the trailer. And that they were just, that sort of no vote, that vote of no confidence in David Ayer. Mm. I saw the trailer after I saw the movie. I saw the trailer this morning, and that is a it's a really good trailer. It is. If there was uh, an awards for trailers, like which it, I think there is, it, they play it to Queen, and mm-hmm. it's like on beat. It's like it's edited so well. Like mm-hmm. I hadn't seen it at the time, so I wasn't yeah. using it as a way to look forward to the movie. Right. Um. But seeing it in retrospect, it's so it's a piece good. Of, it's a piece of art. It's I really mean, good. it really just gets you hyped up to see it. And I think that, you know, everybody's watching that trailer and just all seems so, like, colorful and dangerous mm-hmm. and irreverent. And, you know, and so we're all thinking, like, oh, this is going to be more like Deadpool. And, you know, this is, like, going to be a movie that reflects the kind of personality and values of its characters. Like, it's just going to be really dark and fucked up and um, Devil May Care. And and then instead, what we have, kind of ironically, is like one of the world's <laughs> biggest movie studios just endlessly wringing its hands over just trying to be as as safe as possible mm-hmm. and uh, and not wanting to alienate anybody mm-hmm. <laughs> if they can avoid it. And yeah, just Warner Brothers being super risk averse and then the creative really suffering as a result. So it has a lot going against it. It has all these edits. Um, there were all this news of Jared Leto doing all these weird things. <laughs> We're trying to be the Joker. <laughs> I don't know if that was going against it, but yes, that that was that. Who was, can tell? Who that, can say? I would say that was good press. Uh, that that because that made people interested. Like, oh, he's going to yeah. go really hard uh, yeah. in this role, and for what was ultimately like ten minutes of screen time. Yeah, ten like, minutes of screen time that were absolutely not necessary to the <laughs> plot at all. Yeah, I didn't realize that he was going to be like kind of in his own weird little storyline mm-hmm. uh, because he is not in the Suicide Squad. No. Uh, he's this sort of like loose can outside of it who's trying to figure out how to get Harley Quinn um, back into his own uh, clutches um, and, and which, you know, what she wants to be in those clutches. That's a clutch she wants. Everybody wants a clutch. Yeah. So for all of these things, the, the trailer nonsense, um, mm. multiple edits... Being rushed to completion. How do you think the, the finished product... Rushed to completion. That's the way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's your AIM handle. It is. Um, what, what do you think of the finished product? I mean, it's... Do you think that all these sort of things that uh, happened show uh, themselves? Yes. In the I end mean, result? It, feel, it feels... I'm asking you a question that I know the answer to. I know. I mean, you know, you answer it then. Uh, so, was it last... The last time we had an in-person show, we talked about Absolutely Fabulous and how it was a hot mess. Right. And that's all I could think of with this movie, is that it's a, in a, a less charming Right. But that was a, that was a fun mess. That was a fun mess. This yeah. is a... Uh, 
structural mess. Mm-hmm. It's uh, impossible to follow. I can't yes. imagine the amount of uh, dedication I would have to have to the franchise oh. going into the story to God. be able to close my eyes to the mistakes oh. and the holes. I mean, and the nonsense. That's the thing, though, is that there's nothing to know going into it because they're introducing all new characters. Which is 45 this, minutes, at least yeah, 45 minutes this, to an hour of the movie. This fucking movie thinks like it can do the impossible by introducing a record number of new-to-film characters and then actually having some kind of story happen around them. Like, it's so absurd. It's so ludicrous. Like, the Avengers works because most of those characters we already knew well enough from previous movies. Mm-hmm. This, literally not a single one of them. And we do have a cameo, several cameos, from Ben Affleck as Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, but aside from that, like, these are all new. And so they try to go through and give us exposition for each and every single one of them. And then also try to get to some kind of plot. And the sad part is that the exposition is the best part of the movie. It is the best part of the movie. But then the, the, the problem is that most, I would say half of the characters that mm-hmm. they give the intros to. Yeah. They just leave. Like they oh, yeah. they can't follow all of the stories all the way through. Mm-hmm. So when you get this the the build up and the backstory to a lot of these, there are at least two that shouldn't even be there. Yeah. They don't. No. They aren't really part of the squad. Mm-hmm. They doesn't explain exactly what yeah. they do. They some of them die immediately. Oh yeah, yeah. It's they they don't follow the cardinal rule of you know when you're getting ready to go out, take a look at yourself in the mirror and take one thing off. <laughs> That's what this movie should have done. It didn't do it. It didn't do it. And I think that... You are ready for drag tag. Thank you. Laser I mean, drag tag. I'm getting, in, I'm getting in the zone. But, you know, I feel like what... This is what this is going to have in common with the earlier DC disaster of this year, Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice, is that like that movie, I feel like this movie is probably going to have a considerably longer director's cut that will make mm, way more mm-hmm. sense. Because yeah. the, the 100% consensus about that director's cut was that it improved upon the theatrical cut. Um, and that it just made a lot more sense. And uh, so I'm going to go out on a limb. And, and as a sign of good faith in David Ayer, as a filmmaker who has made some great films, mm-hmm. and uh, and as a sign of good faith in this tremendous cast they pulled together, um, that there's a better version of Suicide Squad out there than mm-hmm. the one we're getting in theaters this weekend. And um, But that doesn't change the fact that this material in my opinion, would have worked a lot better as like a limited series. <clears throat> you mean like a like to have a sequel? No, like something like a TV show. Like, you oh, know, because DC has its shows like on Jessica Netflix, Jones like Jessica thing. Jones and Daredevil. Oh, yeah. And, and because like if you do a limited series, you can do something where you have like different episodes to unpack the backstories mm-hmm. because these characters all have such mythologies about them and all have like so much plot you can pack in. And, you know, like limited series, like, you know, shows like Lost and Orange is the New Black that like have kind of a backstory built into every episode. Mm -hmm. I think that this would have been really perfect in that kind of format um, with the you know caveat that they would not have been able to have such like a mind blowing A-list cast um, had they done a TV version of it. But that does not change the fact that the story itself would have been much better served by a lot more breathing room. So speaking of the cast, they seem pretty bonded. Uh, It might be because of the weird pranks pulled on by Jared Leto. Mm -hmm. Or um, maybe maybe it was just as tumultuous filming this movie as it was watching this movie. Right. Um, But who do you think stands out? I mean, I'll tell you who I think. Um, For sure, Will Smith. Mm -hmm. Uh, By far heads above everybody else as a professional. Yes. His acting is... uh, It seemed like he phoned it in 
and was still so good. Yeah, <laughs> um, it was like it was like yeah, it's like watching an NBA player right. play with high school kids. He's so effortless that he can phone it in and still walk Absolutely. away with the movie. And believe me, I did not go into this movie thinking I was like Will Smith. To me, was like you know he's playing the straight man. Mm-hmm. You know uh, he's the boring one. He's Will Smith. Who gives a fuck? Um, but like he carries the movie, so it mm-hmm. needs him. This is a case of like without the movie, him. The, yeah. Oh my god! Can you imagine? Like, he is the connective tissue. That mm-hmm. keeps this movie in whatever semblance of a piece it's in. Um, I think, and I also, I will say, I enjoyed Ike Barinholtz. Um, oh, and, yeah. He was very from, good uh, from the Mindy Project. Mindy Project. Uh, and he his was supporting great. role. He, was, he, he, shines, he shines brightly. I feel uh, like Will Smith got thrown into a lot of scenes, though, that are so, there are such throwaway scenes mm-hmm. that were less apparently throwaway scenes because he was in them. They yeah. seemed important at the time. At the end of it, you were like, wait, what? what's happening next? Wait, yeah. why did they do that? Yeah. Oh but at the God. time, you were Everything like, Everything changes from scene to scene. In. Character motivations, mm-hmm. personality traits, they change from scene to scene. Um, I do think that Jared Leto is doing something pretty interesting as the Joker, although I think he's fundamentally miscast, if only because laughing does not come easily to Jared Leto. <laughs> uh, so I think that's why he seems so pained whenever mm-hmm. he's forced to do it. Were you calling him El Pacino? Like a dusty El Pacino? I don't think I was doing that. Okay. I had a, I, there's definitely an El Pacino vibe there. It's like a very Dick Tracy <laughs> El Pacino Oh yeah, vibe no, he does, he does look like he's from the Dick Tracy movie. That's mm-hmm. true. Um, and I think that if they, for instance, if they had just cleared away all of the other um, backstories and just focused on the one they developed the most, which is the backstory between the Joker and Harley Quinn, mm-hmm. which is yeah. a very interesting backstory. Um, if not problematic. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, you yeah, know, I mean, like it's, it's not, you know, a backstory in a comic book is not going to necessarily be, you know, empowering. Sure, um, and which is another thing I've been sort of wrestling with, with it, which is how much responsibility do we put on the comic book and how mm-hmm. much do we put on the movie? Right. Which I guess we'll get to that in the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, but you know, so he was doing something interesting in the movie, but then he only ends up in like 10 minutes of screen time and they feel almost entirely inconsequential. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he like did so much, all this like sending semen to everybody or whatever it was that he was doing, um, and it just, it, it makes no sense. So he has a lot of presence. He definitely, like when he's on screen, your eyes are on him, like no question. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's, just not in it very much. Margot Robbie, as spectacular as she looks, really and truly spectacular. I mean, she always, we just talked about this in Legend of Tarzan like a few weeks ago. She looks too beautiful to even be a living human being. Um, I mean, she's no Blake Lively in Cafe Society. <laughs> well, she doesn't Let's have the same glow, but she's also wearing, you know, sort of pancake makeup to, to de-glow. I think she could glow that much if she wanted to. I believe in her. I believe in her glow. <laughs> um, but she is just... The character is described as being crazier than the Joker, mm-hmm. and not for a second. Because you know, women, women, not for a second did I believe that she was crazier than the Joker. No, no. Um, and uh, and her shtick got to be very grating and forced. Yes. Uh, so that was not that was not my favorite part of the film. Uh, Same here. As much as she's sort of like the face of the film in a lot of ways. Um, not great, but uh, but yeah, Will Smith. I mean, out of like, he's one probably the least act, uh, interesting actor in the cast, but mm-hmm. he is the best one. Um, he makes he, a lot of great basketball joke references. I don't oh know God. if you caught those. Uh, of course, uh, I did Phil not. Phil Jackson triangle reference. Oh yeah, yeah, that was a thing. That was a basketball um, thing. And uh, I mean, even Viola Davis is kind of you know wasted in this kind of like bureaucrat role, and they yeah. try to make it interesting, but it doesn't work. Um, so I thought that this movie was set up to be. You, you often bring up like. How does this movie like true up against what it's supposed to be? Mm-hmm. And the expectation was that it's supposed to be this comedic 
uh, superhero movie. Mm-hmm. So we've seen, and we, and we mentioned this earlier, we've seen Deadpool. Right. Which is laugh out loud, hilarious, smart, witty, dry, mm-hmm. the whole gamut. It has a lot of heart to it. The action's great. Mm-hmm. This movie is particularly troubled by the fact that it came after Deadpool and mm-hmm. it does not at all hold up. It oh does not God. hold account of that movie. No. The jokes in this movie are jokes like, do you want me to kill you? Or Crocodile Man reaction shots, <laughs> which are not as good as dog reaction shots. <laughs> not We're by a long so shot. We're talking so much about this movie that we hate. I know. Well, you know, I think that there's a lot to unpack about why we don't like it. But, yeah. you know, I think that, you know, it does it does suffer. One of the ways the Deadpool is much better than Suicide Squad is like not only does it have the actual courage of its convictions and the, cor- and the courage mm-hmm. to be true to its very dark source material, um, and in the, in the process, be explosively funny and also like hugely successful at the box office. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has it keeps itself in a realm of flesh and blood. And the second that I realized this movie was going to be some nonsense supernatural bullshit was going to be the conflict, I was checked out. Yeah, because as one of my coworkers said, the bad guys are literally nothing. Yeah, they, they are. They are literally nothing. That's true, which is and, kind of against the rest of how these superhero yes. stories work. And the whole sort of like this, the, I think that the the circumstances surrounding the member of the Suicide Squad, more or less, who turns out to be sort of like an agent of evil, um, that was one of the by far murkiest, most confusing parts of the movie. Are with, we are we going to spoiler bust here, or are we going to play cautious? Uh, I don't know. What do you want to do? Let's just go for it. We're talking about Cara Delevingne, right? Cara Delevingne. The Uh, Enchantress. The Enchantress. The Witch. I mean, I feel like it's not... Did you enjoy the little shimmy, shimmy shake she does at the end? What was that? (laughs) I mean, that was through the whole... It was very... um, It reminded me of one of those living... It was like a living jib-jab. A living (laughs) jib-jab? It was so awkward. Also, one part of her character that I didn't understand is that she... While she's she's gains power, she's mm-hmm. the, the the evil. Yeah, she she builds this army of these alien like otherworldly uh, um, like creatures. Lots of bubbleheads by making out with them, uh, and there are thousands of them. Yeah. So I mean, I guess this touches, and we'll, which I'm sure we'll get to how this movie <laughs> treats women mm-hmm. um, and people of color. But um, she's there's a line of people. It's like a receiving line of people that she has to make out with in order to make them in part of her army. It's very confusing. Which is it's very um, confusing, unrealistic, and, and <laughs> not very powerful. She's really just doing a poor impression of Aaliyah and Queen of the Damned. Uh, oh, a very poor one. But yes, <laughs> yes, yes, it is very much so. And uh, it's just, it's just, it's just dismal. It just doesn't make any sense. Like I think the moment this movie begins to really fall apart is when they first set off on their mission. Uh, oh, like yeah. from that point forward, it makes zero sense. Because it also doesn't make sense to them. No, yeah, they're like, "What's happening?" And you keep waiting for it to like snap into focus, and then it seems after a while like they think they know what they're doing. But as the audience, you're still like, "I don't know what you're doing." Right. I don't. It's oh god. Yeah. It was just. It was just. I did not know what was happening. And I was like, "How is this movie?" Like, I'm like, I'm like, am I am I dumb? I'm like, am I am I just failing intellectually to keep up with Suicide Squad? Is that what's happening, or is no. the storytelling just like really unnecessarily convoluted and patched together from several different edits? It's exactly what it is. Yeah. Um. So, your thoughts on how this movie treats women and people of color? Well, um, it certainly is very um stereotypical of its um of its Hispanic character. Mm, um, mm-hmm, extremely El Diablo. El Diablo. It's extremely uh, yeah. Lots of really 
Whew. Yeah, some some stereotypes uh, are at work in his character. Domestic abuse, mm-hmm. gang his violence, di- his dialogue. Yeah, I mean, doesn't he? I think he says essay. He does. Oh. Yeah, he does. Not great. Um, so you know, I don't think that it was. I didn't have any notes about the way that it treats like Will Smith or Viola Davis. I don't know if you have stuff you want to talk about there. No, not really. I mean, I, I feel like Will Smith's uh, out of character, like clothes mm-hmm. are sort of strange. Well, but that might be just a little too stylized, a little, a little too, too pimp-like. Is that what you're it's trying to exactly say? Exactly what it is. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so I, I'm not alone. So I could see that. I could see that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I mean, it's very pimp costume. Yes, but you know, one thing I'll say about Viola Davis's character is that that character could have easily been just a white man. Um, oh, hands down. And... It could have been the guy from uh, 13 Hours. Exactly. <laughs> um, but instead, they cast Viola Davis in the role. And, you know, when you stand back and look at the cast, it is a diverse cast. And so, you know, I appreciate that about it. But with that said, um, you know, yeah, there, there's really not any uh, any powerful women per se. You know, we have, you know, as much as Harley Quinn is a, a you know, formidable uh, member of the squad, you know, she's also like this educated woman who was just so in love with a crazy person who she was treating that she was willing to basically be transformed into this like living maniac. And they do this this one scene in the movie where the enchantress sorts of sort of um, uh, gives people the idea of what their ideal life would be like if they were to join forces with her with her. And mm-hmm. Harley Quinn's ideal oh, life is right. her and the Joker living mm-hmm. as uh, I'll say the word straight to mean like right. completely not right living a domestic bl- very a life domestic. of domestic bliss. It looked like Revolutionary and Road flashback, like yeah. them with two kids, and, and there was no makeup suit, involved. She's wearing curlers, yeah. and they're just they like normal. having this. They their regular faces, very suburban. Uh, yeah, which I mean, like that's the character. I mean, you know, Harley Quinn's character and all the lore. I know very little about this, but I know some just because Scott was like showing me some of the old cartoons um, mm-hmm. from this these characters. And that is the character. She is just, just heart sick over the Joker. That's just her whole thing. Um, but that might play better in a cartoon because it is... She, From 19 she, one? She, Like 90s. Um, you know, it's an, inher- <laughs> it's an inherently cartoonish character. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and we can't expect, you know, every female character to like renounce uh, her love of, of, of men. Uh, you know, I mean, but... the re- the way she fell in love with this guy was like through complete manipulation and like mm-hmm. th- I mean, right. So and, this, and so it goes not, back not... to like, right, is but... it the comics' fault or is it the movie's fault? Right. Oh well, I mean, like it's just because it's, it's not depicting it. Like, isn't this beautiful? You know, I mean, like these characters, and we're not supposed to be like looking up to them as like you know, like these are explicitly villains. Uh, so you know, it's, I don't think it's saying that like Harley Quinn is like a role model for little girls. Like, oh, you too should do this. I think it's she's kind of like an inherently tragic character because she was this accomplished woman, and then she was manipulated by this madman into a life of crime, mm. and um, and then she turned out to be especially good at it. So I feel like that's just the character. Uh, you know, I don't know that the movie is saying like be like Harley Quinn, um, but you know, it's it's certainly not. The movie doesn't really have a point of entry if you're looking for like an, a positive female role model. It doesn't really have that. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. Um, so, what are you going to give this movie, Jason? Mm-mm-mm. I'm going to give it. Oof. Come on, feel my vibes. Read my mind. <laughs> All right, I'm going to give it a send it back. It is really not worth it. It yeah, is not. I mean, worth it. I did not enjoy watching the movie. It was pretty. It was joyless. It, it was a really joyless movie. It was movie. confusing. It was yeah. I was confounding it. It 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 makes extremely obnoxious use of basically every pop song oh from the last God. 100 years. How? <laughs> it, it has all the songs. On the nose all is the songs. too accurate a saying 
There is a point where where she's like she has a baseball bat and they mm-hmm. use like that K seven song. I think it's K seven. It's like the I'm not gonna sing it, but it's just like just to say like swing batter batter just because while she swings, oh, yeah. it is. They just ridiculous. want to show off their unlimited budget for song licensing. Mm-hmm. And you know, I was optimistic because as Rebecca and I were talking about earlier before we started to record, every time the intro to You Don't Own Me starts to play in the trailer, mm-hmm. I get chills. Uh, and they played the song in the movie as well. Mm-hmm. And that's fantastic. That's a great use of the song. But from that point forward, it's like fucking like it's like the real Slim Shady. Oh, and like which, it, it, yeah, yeah. It's so many. It has all the songs. It's incredibly obnoxious. There was at one point in this movie where very I was going distracting to like, more than anything else. It's like watching a fucking Baz Luhrmann movie. <laughs> wrote down Eminem as like this whole <laughs> chain of like Eminem to like Fago to like the merchandise that's involved in this movie there's like uh-huh. a whole aesthetic about this movie that I'm not on board with either but yeah I mean I feel like if you're gonna like think about the time you spend watching a movie as a time of your life that you're not <laughs> dead yet and how should you spend two hours not seeing this movie yeah no just re- refer back to um, either well the next two movies we're going to talk about or refer back to our mid-year review from last week if you want some movies that are better for your time than Suicide Squad and if you want to watch a, Mar- a, a Marvel or DC movie just rewatch Deadpool yeah that, that will be more rewarding repeat, repeat viewings of that are more beneficial for you than a one viewing of Suicide Squad um, if you are going to go see it it's rated PG-13 for sequences of violence and action throughout disturbing behavior suggestive content and language so we have a particular circumstance this week circumstance situation we do circumstation <laughs> uh, we have two picks of the week we have um, different picks different picks of the week the first movie is Jason's Pick of the Week, which is Don't Think Twice. When a member of a popular New York City improv troupe gets a huge break, the rest of the group, all best friends, start to realize that not everyone is going to make it, after all. I like my life how it is right now. You can't do improv forever, okay? It just, it ends. Your 20s are all about hope, and then your 30s are all about realizing how dumb it was to hope. This is my room. Where you going? Like 40. I just turned 36. So this movie was written and directed by uh, the stand-up comic Mike Birbiglia. And he was in the news this week for publicly taking aim at the MPAA for giving Suicide Squad a PG-13. While this movie got an R for, as what he described it, adult smoking pot. Right. Having seen both, what are your thoughts? Well, what are your thoughts? You've also seen both. I have seen both. Uh, wow. That, I mean, yeah. yeah, it's a definitely, it's a different scale altogether. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this movie is f- very tame. Incredibly. Um, I, I feel like you wouldn't even know she's smoking pot. Like, can you imagine like a parent taking their, you know, teenager to see this movie and then being like scandalized? No, like this is what life is about. I feel like there's right. m- there's a better message about how to how to be a good friend and oh, how to God. be a good oh. person from this movie than from Suicide Squad. <laughs> yes, I think there's definitely a lot more teachable moments in Don't Think Twice than there are in Suicide I mean, even Squad. Even the na- like Suicide Squad, the name is like triggering. It's terrible. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, and then you know, so Judd Apatow wrote back to Burbiglia on Twitter and was like, "The MPAA is owned by the studios, and you know, and they are there to make violence seem like it's okay." And like drugs and sex look like they're not okay, so mm-hmm. that the studios can keep doing what they're doing, and it'll seem like somehow it's it's cool, it's fine. Uh, so it, it this is this is insane. This is not the most. This is of course not the first uh, insane ratings uh, double standard. Mm-hmm. And the sad reality is that it is always indies that get fucked 
um, mm-hmm. in the situations because the studios can afford to go back and forth with the MPA, and the studios also have a lot of influence and control over the MPAA. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as opposed to a movie like this, or even like when you know, friend of the show George Northey's uh, GBF. Uh, oh, was was rated R by the MPA. Super handsome George Northey? The one and only. Oh, okay. Um, when GBF was rated R by the MPAA. Basically, for a movie that literally had no swearing, mm. no nudity, no sex, no violence, was just about gays. In high school. Yes. And then and then even Gawker took up the case and was like, GBF was rated R for general gayness. And then P- Peter Thiel was like... Right, exactly. He's like, that's the way it should be. Tom <laughs> Gawker. Uh, so, you know... So Give in, me more in, child blood. And GBF was a completely independent movie, as is Don't Think Twice. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so those are movies that get targeted. I mean, it's, it's really... There are parallels to be drawn with like the criminal justice system. That, like, sure, if you don't like, have if you money... Lawyer up, if you don't have money, do then you're going to get a harsher penalty. Yeah. And it's really fucked up. And it's a system that like we're all just kind of trapped in for, uh, for movie ratings. So it's it's very bullshitty. If you're a parent and you're considering which of these two movies to take your kid to. Oh, dear God. <laughs> um, I'm not saying that a, especially a young child couldn't understand the emotional intelligence of Don't Think Twice. Right. Um, but uh, but certainly your, your, your teenager will find much to relate to in terms of the general angst. Yes. Um, so this movie and then the next movie we review, which is uh, the Norman Lear documentary, mm-hmm. they both take a very interesting look at comedy. And both of them also have a cameo by Lena Dunham. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? She She's everywhere this week. She is. Yeah. Two very serious movies about comedy. Yes. Um, the Norman Lear doc kind of takes a look at the work itself. And this is more about the psyche of the people kind of doing the work. Right. Um, and people nowhere near the Norman Lear like no. success yeah. um, level. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, you know, this is about struggling, um, you know, comics who all are working day jobs and, uh, you know, are trapped in this much lower rung of the ladder. And, uh, you know, and so it's really uh, uh, a very sort of compelling ensemble piece about this 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 six person troupe and all of their relationships with one another and the ways that they interact on stage and off stage. And um, and all just kind of waiting to be uh, uh, you know discovered. Mm-hmm. Um, there's uh, there's there's something that, that struck me as a as a parallel. There's a, there's a, there's a bit in the, in the film they're doing an improv scene and um, and they suggest that uh, in this scenario they're creating that there are, are a pair of orphans mm-hmm. uh, sitting in the corner of the room, and it struck me how much they themselves like these improv troops are kind of like orphans being like pick me mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. you know so what we have in this film is a really uh, common scenario for improv troops in like second city and the groundlings where we have a saturday night live type player in this movie renamed as weekend live mm-hmm. um that will just show up um and start recruiting cast members from and, these like second city and yeah, groundlings from these improv troops and um and so these these improvers are kind of like orphans being like pick me like oh, i'm here i'm here i'm performing like are mm-hmm. you seeing me um or even to use an analogy that rebecca will better appreciate like <laughs> puppies at a pound there it is <laughs> just being like mm-hmm. oh is it me is it me am i the best one so um so you know so that that was really kind of kind of struck me um, but so this is this is about sort of the all of the different emotional psychological effects that it has on the members of this one improv troupe when one of their own um, auditions for and gets a spot on Weekend Live, and the effect that it has on all of them as he transitions onto the show 
um, also showing his own struggles on the show. Yeah. And I feel like that this this could be, it's about, in it's like an insider story about comedy. Mm-hmm. But it could also be about music yeah. or like other careers where like everyone's trying to make it and mm-hmm. then someone does. And then yeah. everyone else, it, there is just like emotionally questioning themselves, yes. questioning the person that made it, questioning mm-hmm. each other. And like, how does that... Uh, and again, back here, I, I think you would also have it maybe like in a band where you're like, we have like a very familial bond, mm-hmm. but then we're all sort of turned against each other because someone got picked out um, right. from above. Again, like an orphanage. Right. <laughs> Life's an orphanage. Life's an orphanage. And yeah. sometimes you make it and sometimes the, the BFG yeah. comes and scoops you. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's like, you know, and we see people reacting to it in all kinds of different ways. And, you know, it can't help and, and struggling with wanting to be able to like wish him well and congratulate him um but also feeling like well, what does that mean about me them choosing you means that i wasn't good enough mm-hmm. um you yeah. know not even to come in an audition and then you have um Berbiglia plays sort of like the longest member of the troupe uh who's you know who co-founded it and it's sort of like a legend of sorts like a local legend mm-hmm. um who's always sleeping with his much younger comedy students mm-hmm. and uh mm-hmm. and uh which is absolutely what that guy would be in real life mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and so he is just that one who has just been passed by time and time and time again. And so I feel like anyone in any, I don't even think about just creative pursuit. Um, I think anybody who feels driven to be better and wants to have some kind of affirmation that they are doing good in their job and they work around people who are doing the same thing and they're like, are you, are they better than I am? Mm-hmm. Like, wh- how good am I? Like, am I good enough to be like a, a firm? Am I, you know, am I good enough to be moved up through the ranks? Um, you know, I think it's, it, it gets to just bone deep insecurity mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it gets very, um, there are some very emotionally charged uh, conversations that were, oh, yeah. where that stuff is just laid bare in a way that's like breathtaking um, and hard to watch. Um, so, full disclosure, um, I don't like improv. I don't really like theatrics. Um, I yeah, I I really hate improv. Um, and and I sort of thought this movie was going to be a straight up comedy parody of improv groups. Oh, like, so I was <laughs> well, that sorely because it starts off being like so improv, and you're like, right. this is gonna be hilarious. They're just mm-hmm. gonna like rip how these groups work. Like right. almost sort of like a wet hot American summer about theater kind of thing, <laughs> which I, what I was hoping for. So it I took... mean, am I at the Cleveland Playhouse or what? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Be prepared. Be enthusiastic. Leave <laughs> your bullshit baggage at home because we don't need it. <laughs> hey, you guys. Anyway. Um. So you thought you so were hoping you were looking forward to watching it, watching them be ripped into. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and they were, but in a much more emotional human way. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you're like, that's right, suffer improv piggies. <laughs> and then the and then the improv part was like the serious part. Yes. So um, I was a little taken aback. It took me a while to to sort of recenter myself on this movie. Um, mm. But but yeah, I mean, I think that you're right. I think that it really. Um, maybe the other part that was jarring was was exactly how I mean you know we do a podcast like mm-hmm. anytime you try to do something that that right. makes you feel like you're putting whatever you're doing out there mm-hmm. in the world whenever you're trying at something yes you are vulnerable yes. to feeling like somebody else is better than you yeah and that you're doing it wrong and that you're not good enough and that everybody no one will tell you mm-hmm. um, which yeah. reminds me I need to tell you something. <laughs> you're like let's talk after the show <laughs> just real quick five minutes after the show just... Be, make sure you're sitting down thank you. <laughs> I'll get you a drink. 
Um, this movie has a, a bunch of really funny people in it. It does. Yeah, the entire... Yeah, everybody playing uh, roles in this troupe are all really... And there's, and there's some some big cameos as well, including, as we mentioned, Lena Dunham. Lena Dunham. Um, and so you get a lot of people who are very familiar with, like, writing room chatter. Um, kind of like... Um, a lot of, like a lot of sitcoms that you like, like Happy Endings, um, mm. has that that sort of chatter in it. Yeah. Um, here you sort of you get to see them like write material and test it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a part where they sort of like turn something pretty tragic into a running right. joke. Right. Right. Um, is that something that you think is like one of the benefits of this movie? Yeah, I mean, I think that it shows. Uh, you know, and and that and that part of it probably is more enjoyable to people who specifically are really interested in comedy, mm-hmm. um, just to watch. You know, because you know, if you're somebody who you know, you know who you are. Um, if you take that kind of thing very seriously, and you're like you know, always in your head puzzling, like what would make this funnier? Like if you're a writer or if you're a performer or whatever, uh, you know, to see this kind of troop of people all bouncing the things off of each other, and that kind of thing where comics are around each other, where nothing is off limits and nothing is taboo, mm-hmm. and you can just mm-hmm. say horrible fucked up shit to each other, and mm-hmm. you understand that it's like just you know you're joking. Um, so uh, you know, so it's so it's fun to watch that kind of play out of the course of the movie, and just also watching that tragic thing that does become a running joke between them is is sort of also could be read as their inability to process this moment and so just immediately turning it into humor i was um, about to, it was therapeutic yeah i think it was therapeutic um but maybe in a way that humor is a defense yeah. mechanism it can be therapeutic sure like, um, that's you know, how so, you deal with things what are you so talking they, about that they, was totally normal so he was starting to the person that happens to kind of starts to tentatively do a little jokey voice about this terrible thing that happens mm-hmm. and then everyone else kind of jumps in and builds up this sort of like wall of comedy around him like mm-hmm. yes it's funny it is a joke we're all going to turn it into a joke mm-hmm. um which is really i mean this movie was a very emo- like impactful portrait of just friendship yeah absolutely um yeah really and just i mean adult friendship a friendship that i don't think we see in films very often and relationships and it's a particular mm-hmm. relationship that might not be super relatable to everybody but mm-hmm. something about when you're in the same field and like mm-hmm. what it's like when your ambitions are different and yeah. how you recognize that there's a lot there's a lot in this yeah, movie it's there's very a lot. it's very rich it's very rich all the characters are very recognizable and you're like yes that person yes that person yes that's Kate Micucci in a tuxedo <laughs> Guys, Rebecca had one note about this movie after she watched it that she sent me, and it was Kate Micucci in a tuxedo. That's all I had to say. That's that's worth it right there. If you're gonna see a movie for one worth, reason, worth that's the free it. price of admission we paid to watch it. <laughs> um, so, what's your pick of the week? It is my pick of the week. Um, I really, um, I was really impressed with this movie. Uh, you know, I, I think that. It, it, it has a lot of heart. It has a lot of heart. It's really emotionally, it's very, very alive. It's very affecting. And uh, and I think that, you know, it's a really great exploration of, of, of the creative life mm-hmm. and of humor and uh, and of kind of, and maybe, you know, I'm relating to it because, you know, I personally feel like, okay, I'm, I'm seeing all these things by people who are like four years older than me thinking, you know, that they're going to be washed up forever because they haven't made it yet. I'm like, oh, fuck, you know. Uh, you oh, know. did I tell you I got an offer? <laughs> You're like, oh, did I tell you that we got an offer on the podcast? Ooh, I mean, I got uh, an offer. Ooh, there's this one, uh, can there's I use one the condition. <laughs> You're like, like, I've drawn up papers because like, you didn't do it yet. So <laughs> we'll talk about it after the show. You got five minutes. <laughs> You're like, they're bringing in Raven Simone to replace you. I hope that's okay. <laughs> They feel like she brings that that hilarity uh, I'm doing to, a clap. to balance I'm doing out. A, she's she, I'm doing a clap thing today. Rebecca, Rebecca's like, doing a poetry slam snap am, right now. <laughs> I've been doing snaps today. 
Um, but anyway, yeah, so I feel like I, you know, I related to these characters in their mid thirties, mid to late thirties who are kind of like, is it ever going to, is, you know, what's going to happen for me? Um, so yeah, I felt, and I felt like it had a lot of emotional courage to really peer into that void, that abyss of Mm -hmm. like, just questioning like, fuck, you know, is it ever going to happen? It's kind of like it's like the other end of like the difficult people scale. It's yes. the same. It's, it's a, yeah, exactly. But source. Yeah, but same, it's a completely different approach. Exactly. Yeah, because it's the same. You know, it's it's people in comedy who are trying to make it and frustrated that they're not making it. But this is so much more earnest mm-hmm, and uh, mm-hmm. you know and emotional mm-hmm. as opposed to kind of you know um, the more arch uh, uh, style of difficult people, which is also fantastic. Also fantastic. Um, so, um, Don't Think Twice is out now, and it's rated R for language and some drug use, but it really should be rated... <laughs> it's just pot. PG-13. Ish. Even PG, probably. I don't know. PG-13. PG-13. Um, so my pick of the week was a little different. Um, it is the documentary, Norman Lear, Just Another Version of You. A look at the life, work, and political activism of one of the most successful television producers of all time, Norman Lear. Television can be broken into two parts, before Norman and after Norman. This is a period of time where we were at our, probably our greatest change socially. Mainstream television was one of the last things to jump, and the first person to force it over that hill was Norman. All in the family was the greatest. Do you have a quick answer for the people who say uh, the show reinforces bigotry? Yes, my quick answer is no. So here we have a documentary about Norman Lear. He's uh, 93 years old. He's produced or written some of the best shows on television, All in the Family, Good Times, um, Maud. Um, and this is sort of a, it's a look back at his life, it's a look back at his work. Um, it shows some of his friendships with um, Carl Reiner and uh, Mel Brooks. Mm-hmm. And we recently lost Gary Marshall, who was um, a contemporary of his. Yeah. Um, and between the two of them, they came up with most of the shows in the 70s. Gary Marshall was more of the Laverne and Shirley. Escapist, yeah. fun. And Norman Lear was more of the, this is what's going on. We're going to make it into a comedy, but yeah. but we're going to put it in your face. He was a true trailblazer. Is, was and is a true trailblazer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and both of them are so still so timely and relevant. I feel like the thing coming off this movie, I was, here we go, I was like <laughs> on the verge of or mildly in tears throughout this entire movie. Oh, wow. it, it was, it felt, I mean, so this is someone I consider to be kind of a hero as far as mm-hmm. um, being so funny in a way that is so important. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's rare that you find that. You have Jon Stewart who's also in this movie and yeah. and that moment between them i was definitely crying oh um <laughs> but it's i mean the comedy is such an amazing thing mm-hmm. um that humans are able to do and when you're able to do it with a message uh this movie goes back and shows a lot of clips of some really important moments within like all of the family um i don't know sorry i'm just i'm just going on right now because <laughs> i i really enjoy this yeah and i feel like there are so many people that that aren't familiar with his story and his life that this movie mm-hmm. is so important which is why right. I think it should be the, the pick of the week this week mm-hmm. why it's my pick of the week this week right. rather right yeah I mean it kind of you know it, it, it looks at different portions of his life uh, you know it looks at his life in show business it looks at his life in activism it looks at his family life um, his um, his first marriage his time as serving um, you know as a, as, mm-hmm. as a veteran uh, uh, you know, and this is a man who was born in 1922, guys, and mm-hmm. he's still alive. 
And really spry. And incredibly spry. Incredibly spry. Um, you know, became a father of twins, like, fairly not too long ago. 1994. <laughs> 1994. Uh, so, uh, yeah, he is a remarkable, amazing man. And one of the things that struck me watching this film um, was... You know, they show a lot of clips from, as Rebecca said, from his from the main four shows that we think mm-hmm. of when we think of Norman Lear. All in the Family, Ma, Jefferson's, Good Times. And each of them is so unbelievably relevant and mm-hmm. packs such a punch. Now, All in the Family in particular. Mm. Um, oh, wow. Just, it just just punches you in the gut watching um, those clips because... It it, it, it it makes sense now. Like, it's a show that speaks to such a fundamental nature of, you know, of sort of America mm-hmm. and of generational divides and of political divides. Um, and, you know, it's it's just watching those clips. It so quintessentially distills these these characteristics of, of an Archie Bunker mm-hmm. versus a meathead. Meathead. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, it, it's in, in, it does it for him too. So the film has a device, um, has a few devices that are a little stylish, mm-hmm. um, where um, it'll show its interview subjects, mainly Norman Lear, but other people as well, um, sitting in a dark room watching a clip played on a screen. Um, and none, none was as delightful as the Russell Simmons. Yes, clip Russell Simmons he was. Looks like a boy. He looks like a yeah. little child. He's so delighted by watching be, the scene from the Jefferson. There needs to be a gif of that moment. That needs to be a gif. <laughs> that needs to be That's a like gift. the new Bill Hader eating uh, popcorn. <laughs> yes. Is Russell Simmons watching <laughs> <Woo>! this? <laughs> He's so entertained. Oh yeah, he looks so delighted. Uh, so, but you know, so even for you know watching Norman Lear watch his own work, he just sits there and I mean, and there's a clip they show at the end where that makes him break down crying, mm-hmm. um, and uh, because of personal resonance as well as just him being amazed at what he helped create and uh Mm -hmm. you know it's really hard to put into words what is so impactful about these clips if you're not actually just watching them Mm -hmm. um and uh so insofar as this documentary serves as um as a as an urgent call to watch the work of Norman Lear, mm-hmm. and these are shows that are available digitally. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like you, you just got to like. There's just so they they stand up like they and, and it's just so crazy to imagine what it must have been like at the time, right? When these shows just appeared and what they did that hadn't been done before was actually to address and comment on things that were happening in the real world, and to build it seamlessly and organically at its best into just comedy you know with characters that people loved and related to and you know all the family ran for eight seasons and uh and it just continued to push every single envelope um throughout its run at a time when television was so neutered oh yeah you had like the dick van dyke show where they were a married couple that slept in separate beds Mm -hmm. um the envelope pushing was so much more extreme but the but the story is so relevant now Mm -hmm. um there were some of the some of the stylistic moves in the documentary that I thought were a little heavy. Yeah. Um, they sort of had this thing with this little boy. Right. I mean, the message of it is great because because you go th- you have this life that's remarkable. You've you've made all these shows. You've made all this money. He's he bought the Declaration of Independence. Like he has all these crazy things that he's done. Mm-hmm. But then at the end, you're you're talking to a man in his nineties who is coming to grips with things about his life mm-hmm. from his still. like childhood. Still, it's like this yeah, he therapy goes, session. He goes into therapies. He goes into therapy in his mid eighties. Mm-hmm. It's 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 that part's great. Some of the tools they use to show you what's happening yeah. are a little heavy. They're a little heavy. Yeah, there's this ongoing motif of this like boy who's meant to represent young Norman Lear walking mm-hmm. around in the same trademark hat that Norman Lear always wears. Um, it's it's a little it's it's not necessary. I think they were just trying to be like, okay, how can we 
This is directed by the women um, who directed Jesus Camp. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. Not a lot of direct ties between those between no. those two films, <laughs> um, but you know they certainly established themselves with Jesus Camp as mm-hmm. being um, very capable uh, documentarians, and um, and you know so I feel like maybe they were just like, how do we do this like a Norman Lear way? How do we tell a story? not just having talking heads and doing the usual documentary thing. I don't know that they made the best choices um, mm-hmm. with, with like, yeah, the whole motif of this little boy and the kind of like staging these little moments. Um, you know, I did think it was kind of, it was fun to watch them watching clips. That part of it, I that thought was, was kind yeah. of, yeah, just watching them watch it. It was, it created this kind of experience where you were watching it with them. Mm-hmm. And, and it was kind of cool just to see like, what does Norman Lear see when he looks at these clips? Uh, 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 very fascinating stuff, and uh, and and the clips they chose were well chosen. Oh, definitely. Um, and so one of his shows was Maud, mm-hmm. and Jason, I believe we could safely say, is the resident B. Arthur expert as someone who has, I think, at least two B. Arthur T-shirts. Mm. Um, it's your Twitter cover image. It's your cell phone case. Yeah, um, I'm guilty. Were you pleased with the the B. Arthur clips? It. Oh my god! I mean, like I was. Uh, they have some archival footage in this movie that I was not expecting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Like they and they get to the archival footage very late because it seems like they didn't really have any for All in the Family. They didn't really show any archival stuff. For they that. had like one interview with Carol O'Connor. Yeah, exactly. Which was really great. Which was really was great. So good. What an interesting man. Um. But uh. But yeah. So uh, then when you get to Maud. Uh, they have like behind the scenes footage mm-hmm. of them at like a table read. Yeah, and you have like B. Arthur and Rue McClanahan. Yeah. A oh yeah. my god! And they're just oh, I, it was like I felt like it was a it was a goddamn gold mine. <laughs> uh, you know, so seeing any new footage of B. Arthur, I always welcome. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the world needs more. I, I'm waiting for like the exhausted B. Arthur documentary to be made. <laughs> Thank you and please universe. But um, but oh my god, uh, yeah, seeing seeing the stuff from Maud. Um, was fantastic, and I mean, yeah, he, that was the most notorious thing about Maud. The most groundbreaking was that mm-hmm. you know she had abortion, um, mm-hmm. and you know, and so showing you know, and that's sort of when you think about like the Norman Lear greatest hits reel, then that's of course one of the biggest ones. Oh, for sure. Um, but you know, but I think that that's the thing about this movie, though, is that you know it, it can't help but be sort of a greatest hits reel. Well, they about do Norman hit Lear. on they hit on good times, yeah, which was kind of is kind of more of a bruise in his career. I think that mm-hmm. they approach it gingerly, but they still like show the fact that so good times was before the Jeffersons, and mm-hmm. and it was there was a lot of conflict between John Amos and Mr. Um, yeah, from uh, from the show, kind of how they were portraying, how his writing was portraying black people, mm-hmm. and they felt a responsibility. JJ Walker and yeah, with dynamite mm-hmm. and, and and kind of being that she has a, such a great line in there where I feel like she says like I feel like you can be you can be you can have comedy without buffoonery. Mm-hmm. Um, it was so good, and and there's this this part where he doesn't look that great, where he's like mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna write it, and we can't have this argument every week, mm-hmm. um, where. I mean, the documentary, it's a, its not super clear that they show him as being wrong. I think that there's a, there's a bit of, it's implied that he didn't make the right choice there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they moved on to the Jeffersons, which was a completely different dynamic for right. a black family in America. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe, I don't know, I'd be interested to see how um, black Twitter today would, would yeah. respond to that. Yeah, I can't imagine it would be a good response. Um, but, you know, I think that, so it's kind of saying, like, I think that, you know, it's painting such a, 
you know, a lionizing portrait of Norman Lear that mm-hmm. like, they're like, they all, there's, it's safe enough to allow like, okay. And then there was some tension around this and there was pushback from the black community and, you know, the Panthers were involved and, you know, so, you know, and I, and there, it would be a question for today, certainly like, does he, you know, if a white showrunner was going around creating shows about black people all the time, you know, mm-hmm. then like, would, you know, would we feel like as a culture that that was appropriate? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I think that at the time, and it's interesting because I think all these things that we think are new, uh, you know, you go back and we mm-hmm. watch the documentaries and none of it's new. Nope. Uh, we've all been having these same conversations forever. Mm-hmm. Um, this, that, that was the thing that seems, more, seems so relevant is that it is actually the same as it it's was. The same, yeah. Same conversation. 30, years ago. Same conversation. Some technological innovations and differences in terminology. Um, but but other than that, the, the core issue is the very same. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think that, you know, growing up, uh, you know, maybe you aren't aware of that. You know, I certainly wasn't because, you know, that's not in history books. Um, but then when you see mm-hmm. these kinds of cultural documentaries and you see that, yeah, there was an outspoken, you know, like, you know, black community at the time that was like, this is not great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I only grew up being vaguely aware of like Dynamite. Mm-hmm. And of Esther Roll from like various like commercials for old old people things that she was doing. Right. I not oh, know who yeah. she was. <laughs> I just thought it was always hilarious when she would show up on my TV and go, Hi, I'm Esther Roll. <laughs> so that was always a delight for me growing up. But um but yeah, it's 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 a great it's just a, a tremendous cultural history of like the man who first was just first. The man who was mm-hmm. first to introduce so many things. I think, you know, the, the first sympathetic gay character on television, I believe, also was All in the Family. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, there's, there's there's an episode, I think, where Edith gets raped. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You know, like, there's there's so yeah. many things um, that, that happen on that show. And, um, I mean, this movie, at the end of the day, like, it gave me a better sense of who Norman Lear is and what his whole story is, and it made me certainly respect him with even greater reverence and awe. But really, it just made me want to, like, go watch all of All in the Family. Which is, um, I think, why it makes this movie so important. (laughs) Right. Um, You know, especially if you're, I don't know, going to go out on a limb and say millennial. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Because you wrote it down. (laughs) (laughs) Um, for people who haven't seen this, these shows are great. I don't know. I, yeah. I was raised in the reruns of these shows. Um, and it's just, I mean, it's so funny and it's so important. I mean, there's a time when like, there's this great interview in the show where, and also how about the times when there used to be these like debates when it would be like William F. Oh, Buckley right. against yeah. uh, Gore Vidal. James Baldwin or something like that. Uh, Gore Vidal. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I miss the sort of like. I mean, I don't know what the hell we have on TV now. Now it's just like screaming and you can't really watch it. But yeah, there's that one debate they show in the movie where someone's like, how do you feel about using comedy as a response to the ills of the world? And like this guy's like, I'm against it. Yeah. He's like, I don't know. Like people don't really say that. And you're sort of like bringing these terms back up because like Archie Bunker uses all these offensive terms. And Mm -hmm. and he's like, and Norman Lear says, um, I mean, these terms didn't die. People are using them. And, mm-hmm. and like by having this whole like saccharine television of the 60s and 70s, right. you were ignoring what people yeah. were saying. And so like what he was doing was bringing a real dialogue that was happening mm-hmm. that he wasn't reviving, but that was actually happening right. out in the mainstream. Yeah, he was forcing he, it. He was putting for- the light on yeah. it. Seeing how foolish it actually is. Which is something that I think, you know, today conservatives will still do. Like, if you start to bring up issues of racism, they're like, well, you're the one bringing up racism, and I think that's racist. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> uh, it's like, exactly. well, no, I, we're just we're just calling out something that's there that you would rather not be called out. Mm-hmm. And this movie certainly um, is a, a, a rebuke to anybody who mistakenly thinks that the show 
is on Archie's side. Right, right. <laughs> uh, or that the show was like, oh yeah, like 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 it was some sort of like Larry the Cable Guy type situation where <laughs> it was meant to be from a conservative perspective and you're supposed to laugh at the stupid liberal and cheer for the conservative. It's not like that. Not the See, case. this show is a primer, then get in some old television. I'm giving this a binge it. I think it's educational. Mm-hmm. I think it's important. I think you should see it. It's hilarious. Yes, and I also uh, give it a binge it. Um, it's unrated, um, but... If Don't Think Twice got an R, this probably would too. Yes, not deservedly, but not probably deservedly. would. Um, thank you so much. Uh, be sure to subscribe to the Binge Movie Podcast if you haven't already, either on iTunes or whatever you use to get your podcasts. I'm on Twitter at Fight Balance. Jason is at the Jason Leroy. Um, see you next week, and thank you. Bye, guys. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end, that's amazing. There, there goes, goes the, the binge. binge.